Okay. Uh, hello, welcome. Uh, I, uh, my name is Dan George, and I'm one of the elders downtown here. Uh, been a member for, uh, with Bethel for about 10 years, I think a little over 10 years. Um, Eric asked us all in a meeting, uh, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, if we'd do this. He didn't really ask. He actually told us we were going to do it. And uh, it reminded me because I, uh, I uh, when, when he asked me to be an elder several years ago, uh, I said, that's the one thing I, I don't want to do. Don't put me up on that stage. And, and, and so you, you see how that worked out for me. So, uh, But anyway, bear with me. Um, I'm going to be running through Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and uh, a lot of information. Three, four short verses, but a lot of information. Uh, so don't let me run you off and, uh, or my call, either way. So uh, let me open this up in prayer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Um, so let me just give you a brief kind of overview of me. I don't particularly like talking about myself. I kind of consider myself uh, a quiet guy. I don't talk a lot. Uh, I think a lot of people will vouch for that. Uh, but I'm not shy. Uh, I'm an eight on an Enneagram for those of you that uh, follow that kind of thing. That's the challenger. So I keep thinking I'm, I'm not an eight, but everybody else in my family says you are right in the middle of the fairway. So anyway, um, I think of myself a little bit like a duck on, on the water, uh, maybe really calm up top, but underneath, uh, I'm always paddling, uh, that, that, uh, the wheels are turning. Grew up in Baytown, Texas, uh, outside of Houston, and uh, actually went to, was in Episcopalian for, golly, 40 years, uh, went to Episcopal Church, and even thought about going to the priesthood, uh, was an acolyte, and, and uh, really felt called to do that, did not do that. Uh, I drifted like uh, so many of us do. Uh, actually, went off to UT in Austin, um, got an engineering degree, and actually met the love of my life, Susan. Uh, we've been married 37 years this November, which is hard to say. Um, we've had three kids: um, Ben, Caroline, and uh, Libby. And I'll show you a picture here in a second uh, of them. And uh, and I've told people in a life group that we started back in the fall, I used to get mad. Uh, I'd get frustrated and try to control things and kind of gave up on that. And, and life's been good. I mean, it's, you know, we, we, uh, we need to do that. Uh, it's just life's too short to sit here and try to control it all. So uh, been in the oil and gas business um, for all my life, so don't, don't hate me for that. Um, I actually manage a, a company down uh, here in, in Tyler now and uh, really enjoy what I'm doing. So the first thing I want to do is throw a picture up of uh, our family. This is up at uh, last summer, actually, on Mount Yale, which is a 14,000-footer there outside of Buena Vista. I don't know if you've ever climbed a 14,000-foot mountain, but it's, it's an accomplishment. It, it literally took us 12 hours to get up and down. But just from left to right, that's my son, Ben, uh, his girlfriend, Sydney, who we have big plans for, maybe, someday. Uh, she didn't hear that. Uh, then I've got my youngest daughter, her husband, uh, Libby and, and uh, uh, Clayton Carter. And then I've got next to uh, Libby, I've got uh, my oldest daughter, Caroline and uh, Marshall Normant, uh, Susan and myself. Uh, 
The next picture is um, me last weekend with my baby Claire. Uh, this is uh, Claire Summers Carter, uh, our first grandchild. So she's probably the most beautiful grandchild I've ever seen. Uh, but she is uh, really special, and uh, we're so thankful she's here and, and healthy and good. So, and that's Libby's uh, and Clayton's daughter. Uh, just one other couple quick points before I get into the word. Uh, we went to uh, Turkey on a, on a Bethel trip uh, back in 2019, and we did actually stop by Colossae, Colossae and uh, I think Ken showed up. A similar photo last week. That's it. You're looking at it, and that's. And Eric has talked about this. There's the hill, and, and there's a few dirt roads. And um, the next slide, uh, we actually just uh, Kim Prothro uh, walked through some uh, scripture. Uh, took a picture of that on that dirt road, and that's our guide next to her. I can't recall his name right now, but uh, anyway, it was really cool. Uh, got to go through the word there, uh, actually at that location, and then the next. Slide some of Colossians. So these are the guys. These are actually just dawned on me. They're Colossians. So uh, these are folks that just came by. So anyway, I don't even know why I threw that in there, but I thought thought I would. Um, okay. So again, Colossians three one through four. I want to kind of take a top down approach, um, um, and as we walk through this uh, passage, so talk about Colossians in general initially. So. Um, as an aside, in preparation for this, um, I feel for Eric and others that do this from a week-to-week basis. I mean, it's a lot of work, and, and I went out, and there's a lot of information out there, and trying to pull it all together and synthesize it. It's, it's a challenge, so bear with me. Um, so the first slide, uh, the proper focus, Christ and the life above. That's not really my big idea for the day, but it's really something I wanted to uh, uh, just highlight. Uh, let's talk about focus for a minute. So focus is defined as a central point of attraction, attention, or activity, or close attention or concentration. So we all need to reset and renew our minds. And I just want to quickly mention Romans 12.2, which states, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Next slide, just, and I know I'm kind of hitting you with a lot of slides here, but um, it's kind of a theme of Colossians. I'm sure there are many variations of this, but again, from a general standpoint, Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in death, resurrection, and fullness. So as one of the most Christ-centered books in the Bible, Colossians finds its essential unity in the divine exalted person of the preeminent Christ. This epistle presents variations on the central theme, on this central theme, with Christ celebrated as, and there are a lot of them, I'm going to list them off here, the object of the believer's faith, the image of the invisible God, the creator of all dominions, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the unifier and reconciler of all things, the Savior through his sufferings on the cross, the treasury of all wisdom and knowledge, the triumphant victory over sin and Satan, the exalted Lord of life and glory, and the last one, and the true pattern for the life of Christian faith. So this letter, this epistle, is also unified by Paul's pastoral concern to dissuade the Colossians from getting caught up in useless 
religious regulations and awaken exaltation of Christ and exaltation in him. So chapter 3 is a major pivot for Paul in his argument against the false teachers whose dangerous teachings were threatening the church and now he wants to transition and appeal to the Colossians to live in a manner, a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. So Paul takes this opportunity to encourage these believers to press on to maturity in Christ by continuing in their battle against sin, pursuing holiness in Christ and learning to live as distinctively Christian households. So the big idea of, of, of this talk is uh, put on the new self. Okay, so that's, that's kind of how I designated the big idea. So, so in this chapter 3, Paul explains true Christian behavior, putting on the new self by accepting Christ and regarding the earthly nature as dead. We change our moral and ethical behavior by letting Christ live within us so he can shape us into what we should be. So I'm gonna, it's only four verses. I'm going to read back through them, and then we're going to kind of break it down uh, briefly. So 3.1, that if then, you can, you, can, you can insert since, okay? So since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So if you break this down, there's really a truth, two imperatives, or two commands, and then a promise. The truth is you have been raised with Christ. The first imperative, the first command, instruction, is seek the things that are above. So keep seeking, which is an effort to obtain. Second imperative, a command, is set your minds. So turn your eyes on Jesus. And the last thing, the promise. You can't have a truth without a promise. So you will also appear with him in glory. So what I asked the guys to do earlier was kind of combined uh, combine both Colossians 3, 1, and 2, and I'm going to kind of talk about those uh, for a few minutes here uh, in combination. So, um, again, kind of breaking this down, uh, since you have been raised with Christ, it's kind of a, it's a reference to Colossians two thirteen to 14, and that is, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he said, then he set aside nailing it to the cross. Seek the things that are above uh, is Paul's instruction for us to pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ himself. Reference back to Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his, of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in death. And all that belongs to living with and for him. This should include seeking first his kingdom, which is a reference to Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And living a life worthy of his name. Reference, two references here, and I'll almost be done with the references. Living a life worthy of his name in reference to Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in Colossians 2 6, therefore, as I received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So, just as a reference, the right hand of God is a metaphor for a 
for the place of supreme privilege and divine authority. Uh, the latter, the uh, the end of uh, that verse one. Um, Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is presently seated at the right hand of God. So this is a reference to two quick verses. One is Psalms 110.1, which is the Lord. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make in your enemies your footstool. In Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So in a position of authority where he can make intercession with the Father, the false teachers may have claimed to have heavenly secrets, but Paul dismisses their theology as earthly. But if you think about verse 1, is set your heart on something, and then verse 2, is set your mind on something. So Paul is, uh, encourages his readers, readers to turn away from the false teachers and remind them of the union with Christ. He also urges them to continue living in keeping with their position with Christ. So here's a comparison. So heaven and earth are contrary to one another. And the prevalence of our affection to one will proportionally weaken our affection to the other. So you really have two choices. you got an on-earth way of thinking that's all about right here, right now, the physical moment, or an above way of thinking that looks at life from the vantage point of the grand redemptive story, and more specifically from the perspective of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So you must not only seek heaven but you need to think heaven what's your choice is it a material reality as the only reality or a material reality viewed through the lens of the radical truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ which is it for you where does the rubber meet the road in your life so the Christian will see things not as they appear to men but as they appear to God he will for instance set giving above getting set serving above ruling and forgiving above avenging. And I particularly like this next part. Intellectual brilliance, advanced education, or some unusual physical strength are not required for a Christian to become great in God's estimation. What he requires is faithful perseverance in the basics of Christian life. Any Christian can do this because we all have the help of the Lord himself. So be honest right here, right now. What do you tell yourself that you don't have? What have you become convinced of that you can't live without? What are the if-onlys that you carry around with you that shape the way you think about yourself, about life, and about the goodness of God? In absence of what, are you tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God? When you look back with joy at how things have gone in a certain situation or relationship, what gives you that joy? So here's where all these questions are going. What things of this earth tend to capture your heart and in doing so control your thoughts, words, and behavior? The Apostle Paul captured the struggle that we are studying here in these two verses, 3, 1, and 2. And immediately after writing this beautiful depiction of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why does Paul lay out this call, the call of this passage? The answer is he knows his audience. He knows us. Uh, he knows that even though they are God's children, the spiritual war is not over for them yet. There is a constant struggle for the rulership of their hearts. From the big, big picture perspective, the heart can be captured or ruled by only two things. And I'll use Paul's terms. Your heart is always living under the rule of things that are above or things that are on earth. So at the street level, you and I are either worshiping and serving the creation 
or the Creator. The spiritual struggle is that we all tend to vacillate between the two. There are times we get it right, and the deepest motivation and joy of our hearts is to live in a way that pleases God. But there are also times when we tell ourselves that some created thing that we have to have, and we functionally forget God and give ourselves into getting this thing that has captured our thoughts and shapes our desires. The above, or the, earth, the above or earth struggle is the great spiritual war between your conversion and your final homecoming. It's really fought in all situations, locations, and relationships of your family, of your daily life. Sorry. It's not wrong to celebrate great glories. It's not wrong to want them in your life. It's not wrong to work to get them, but they, do not, they, but they must not be allowed to rule your heart and in ruling your heart to become your functional God replacement. So not only is this a struggle, not only is this struggle the big battle of the Christian life, it is also a principal argument for our ongoing, ongoing need of grace. So grace can free us from bondage to things that we will never, that will never give us what God alone can give us, which is life. We know the end of the story, death to life. So the Bible uses many illustrations to teach what happens when we choose to let Jesus be Lord of our lives. Following are some of the most vivid pictures. So because Christ died for us, we have been crucified with him. Our old rebellious nature died with Christ. Christ's resurrection guarantees our new life and eternal life with him later. This process is acted out in baptism based on our faith in Christ. The old sinful nature dies, crucified. We are ready to receive a new life, buried. And Christ gives us new life, resurrected. So setting our hearts on things above means striving to put heaven's priorities into daily practice. Setting our minds on things above means concentrating on the eternal rather than the temporal. So to set your mind on things above means to look at life from God's perspective and to seek what he desires. This is an antidote to materialism. We gain the proper perspective on material goods when we take God's view of them. The more we regard the world around us as God does, the more we will live in harmony with him. We must not become too attached to what is only temporary. We are, and this is actually something I picked up from Eric, we operate as my life is my life, and Jesus just walks me across the finish line when I die. Nope, that's no way to live. He is our life. And you've heard this from Eric as well. How often... How would Jesus live my life if he was living my life? Because he is. Okay? So moving on to verse 3, uh, which states, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul uses the language of Isaiah and Psalms to express the security of the people of God as they trust in him. First reference is back to uh, Isaiah 49.2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And the second uh, reference is Psalms 31, 19 to 20. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the covering of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men, and you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. So for you have died, which is the first part of verse 3, means that we, uh, we should have as little desire for this world as a dead person would have. 
the me that was outside the covenant community, the uncircumcised, the enemy of God, is dead and crucified with Christ. The Christian's real home is where Christ lives. This truth gives us a different perspective on our lives here on earth. So dead people don't climb ladders. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but have you ever seen a dead person climbing a ladder? The false teacher said you have to ascend in order to be closer to God. You can't ascend anything. You are dead, and dead people don't climb. Christianity is the only religion in this world that doesn't require you to climb a ladder. You are dead, yet you are alive, and that's the gospel. So what do we do? We adjust our attitude, actions, and actions. You cannot be too heavenly-minded. If you are heavenly-minded, you will be infinitely earthly good. So what is true of Jesus is true of us. So what does it mean that a believer's life is hidden with God? Hidden means concealed, enveloped, utterly enclosed with Christ in God. So you are in Christ, Christ is in the Father, and the Spirit is in you. Shockingly, you are in the Trinity. This is a silver bullet against all the Gnostic errors and false teaching. So this is a great thing that Christ is your life. This is not only a future hope, but an accomplished fact right now. Our service and conduct do not earn us our salvation, but they are the results of our salvation. Take heart that your salvation is sure and live each day for Christ. So this statement that the believer died with Christ in the past and continues to live with him, with Christ in the present, suggests three thoughts. One is, our life draws nourishment from secret springs. Number two, our life is as safe as a deposit locked in a bank vault. And number three, our life is one with Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. I'll finish this section with a quote from Oswald Chambers, which I thought was appropriate. It states, the most important rule for us is to concentrate on keeping our lives open to God. Let everything else, including work, clothes, and food, be set aside. The busyness of things obscures our concentration on God. We must maintain a position of beholding him, keeping his lives completely spiritual, keeping our lives completely spiritual through and through. Let other things come and go as they will. Let other people criticize us as they will, but never allow anything to obscure the life that is hidden with Christ in God. This fourth, I'm about to lose my deal here. Um, Keep messing with it, sorry about that. So verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So believers know that Christ is their life, perfection and glory will be theirs when Christ returns, when they appear with him in glory. Christ gives us the power to live for him now. And he gives us the hope for the future. He will return. We know the end of the story. So make Christ your life. He's the only Savior that will never fail you. Jesus Christ died for us. For example, if you saw an artist that created a beautiful sculpture, and in order to protect it, he threw himself in front of that sculpture that was about to be destroyed by this bulldozer, and he died in the process, you would say, man, that sculpture must have been his life if he's willing to die for it. Well, guess what? Jesus did this for us. He died for you and me. So what is this telling us? So this came from Tim Keller. The idols in your life cannot be removed. They can only be replaced. 
We're all slaves to something. I don't know if y'all remember Eric's reference to a Bob Dylan song maybe a year ago, I don't know, maybe six months ago. You've got to serve somebody. He's the devil of the Lord. So that made me think about that. Um, but we're all slaves to something. Simply saying that you will not continue to be a slave to something is probably not going to work. Give your heart to God. It converts you and gives you a sense of worth. So in view of this revelation, Christians need not pursue another system that claims to provide more than we have in Christ. God has provided all we need, both for acceptance by him and for godly living in Christ. All we need to do is act on or apply the implications of these truths, which Paul proceeded to help his readers do in these verses. You have died and, and now you are raised. Um, this is who you are. Now live like it. Oh, by the way, that's what they call faith. Living like it's true. So you are now in Christ. God delights in you as much as he does his own son. So the, this is the key point and the primary constant that will not change. And this ought to give us all a great deal of comfort. This is the end of the story. So this is why in Bethel downtown, where we're getting ready to go through a lot of change, um, we're alive and well. We expect a lot of growth, a lot of expansion in the coming months, and the other things no doubt will change. This won't change. Christ being our life, it will not change. Eric says it all the time, you are from the future. You already know the end of the story. Imagine if a bunch of new cell people were walking around this campus. Again, the struggles will still be there, but what a beautiful thing. So make Christ your life. That's the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done in Christ to redeem man to himself and to one another. So wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had a lot of people walk around this campus and saw the world through God's eyes? So make Christ your life. So this is why I'm here. Um, again, I've been here for 10 years and wasn't getting fulfilled. And I can't tell you how happy and how fulfilled I am now.